The message is titled, The Secret of Peace and Joy. We have given as an overall theme for these messages my favorite verses from a prison. Again, reminding you that these chapters, these verses were written by Paul in his first imprisonment in Rome. So we need to remember from the background of the book, the situation in which Paul found himself. It makes the words even more powerful and meaningful. This message on peace and joy particularly becomes powerful in our lives when we consider the circumstances under which the words were written. Let us look back at the text again that we read together a few moments ago. Verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord once in a while, for it is fitting that all rejoice occasionally. Yours doesn't read that way? Rejoice in the Lord when everything is going good, for that is natural. Doesn't read that way either, does it? Maybe we ought to read just that first line again, out loud, together. Rejoice in the Lord always. How many have fulfilled that scripture every day of your life? Raise your hand. I don't see a taker. Paul wrote this from a prison, shackled, bound, fettered, shut away not knowing whether he would even have a tomorrow or a next week. In pain, in solitude, he was able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. And then farther down, Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know of any two things that men seek for more than the two things that are referred to in these my favorite verses from a prison. Peace and joy. People are after peace and joy. They spend a lot of money and a lot of time seeking peace and joy. But as you look into the life of a person who makes this their goal, it seems so often that they're absent of the very things that they're seeking for. So there has to be a reason for the absence, and that's what we want to look at today. Added to this is the fact that on the market, many books are coming out today on self-fulfillment, on how to find peace, how to be happy. Oh, there's a myriad of books and pamphlets and magazine articles on the art of being at peace and having joy in your life. Yet again, it seems to me that there are more people than ever 
who don't have the peace and the joy that all of these books are writing about. I guess we could say that the people who write these books and articles would call themselves an authority. But I want you to come with me today to the authority of all authorities on this subject. We need the voice of authority. And who is that? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the teacher of teachers, the authority of all authorities. He said, my peace I give unto thee, not as the world giveth give I unto thee. Jesus said that. He also said, my joy and your joy in John 15 verse 11. Interesting that he would speak of my joy and then your joy. When we look at that in its context, it's obvious the source. He is the source. He is the one who embodies joy and the one who gives joy. He is the one who embodies peace and gives peace. And Paul, who followed Jesus Christ from the moment he met him on the road to Damascus, now says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not in your circumstances. Not in the way things are going, but rejoice in the Lord. And when you learn to do that, the peace of God which passes understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, not only did Paul hear and taste of peace and joy, but others have down through the years. Maybe you've met somebody like that, who always seem to have those ingredients in their life. I never met her, but I have read about her her name is Annie Bailey. Annie Bailey just died recently in Hong Kong at the age of 90. Annie Bailey was a missionary for the Assemblies of God to China. Annie built one of the great churches in China before the revolution. She spent 38 straight years in China without a furlough. A single lady, never had been married, but built one of the great churches in all the Republic of China. She came from a unique little town in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's called Turtle Creek. Turtle Creek, Pennsylvania, produced Annie Bailey a person who found what Paul is subscribing to in his statements from a prison. Now let me share with you what Annie Bailey wrote not too long ago. Thou knowest better than I know myself that I am growing older and will someday be old. Keep me from getting talkative 
and particularly from the fatal habit of thinking that I must say something on every subject and on every occasion. Release me from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. Release me from craving to straighten out everybody's affairs. I ask for grace to listen to the tales of others' pains. Help me to endure them with patience, but seal my lips on my own aches and pains. They are increasing, and my love of rehearsing them is becoming sweeter as the years go by. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally it is possible that I may be mistaken. Keep me reasonably sweet. I do not want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with. But a sour old person is one of the crowning works of the devil. Make me thoughtful but not moody, helpful but not bossy. With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a pity not to use it all. But thou knowest, Lord, that I want a few friends at the end. That was Annie Bailey. Now, though I never met Annie Bailey, I have met people who knew Annie Bailey. And I would like to have known Annie Bailey. Because from what I have read from her pen, and what I have heard from the lips of those who knew her, I think she is one of those after the Apostle Paul, who found out how to move through this world with these two blessings, peace and joy. And ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing under heaven that will benefit the world more than if you and I can go out of here with the same ingredients in our life. Nothing I know of will bless the world more than if you and I find at any strata of our life peace and joy. And that we can say from wherever we're coming from, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And the peace of God will guard or keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Our text comes from a prison. Annie Bailey's statements came from years of hard work in China. There are two things that I want to leave with you today in this message. Number one, barriers to peace and joy, and number two, blessings of peace and joy. Barriers and blessings. Have you got it? You can remember it all week. Barriers and blessings. What are the barriers to peace and joy? I think there are four. So if you want to write them down, it wouldn't be a waste of time. Barriers to peace and joy. Practical things. Number one, selfishness. Selfishness is a tremendous barrier to what Paul is talking about from his prison cell. Now let me put it in another way, if I could. 
There are people that we have met along the way who think only of themselves. That's what I'm talking about. Selfishness. People who think of themselves. Now Paul, in this letter to the Philippian believers, two chapters back, chapter 2, speaks of two men. One, Timothy, the other, Epaphroditus. It's interesting that he would speak of these two men. I want you to take a moment to look at what he says about them. They are symbols for us of how to escape the barrier to peace and joy called selfishness. In verse 19 of chapter 2, Paul begins to talk about Timothy. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely, now get this, who will sincerely care for your state. There's a secret. It does not say I will send to you Timothy because he looks after himself so well. It says, I will send to you Timothy because he has escaped this barrier to peace and joy. He knows how to care for others. One of Timothy's gifts is that of reaching out to touch others, and I'm going to send him to you. And now notice verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. All seek their own. I'm afraid we're living in an era like that today. All seek their own. All are concerned about their own well-being, their own house, their own this, their own that, their own health, their own family. Paul is sending Timothy because he knew how to think about others. And my friends, it's got to come into our lives. We've got to get out of this selfishness routine. He will care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And then he mentions Epaphroditus, beginning at verse 25. You may forget his name, just call him Epa, if you forget, okay? Epaphroditus. Some of you may want to name your next son Epaphroditus. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Here it is again. A man commended in Scripture not because of something that had to do with his own life and his own well-being, but because he was ministering to another. And as you read down into this passage of Scripture, verse 30 says, He came close to death, yet he regarded not his own life. What a testimony of two men whom Paul remembers from a prison, Timothy who looked after the church, and Epaphroditus, who looked after Paul. 
Even though he was sick and nigh unto death himself, he regarded not his own life. Where is that in our time? People are reaching out for what they think they have coming. We seldom think of what we have, but of what we lack. Isn't that true? One of the maladies of life. We are always thinking of the things we don't have rather than the things we do have. And what it does is keep us from peace and joy. Gladstone said that selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. I am inclined to agree. D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any other man I have ever met. Now you just slip your name in there and say that because it's probably true. Selfishness, a tremendous deterrent to peace and joy. In the ministry I have had opportunity hundreds of times to go to minister to somebody else only to go away better myself than when I went. In fact, one of the greatest healing elements in this world is when you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're conducting those little pity parties from your prison to go somewhere where there is a need greater than your own. And in the name of Jesus, do what Timothy did and do what Epaphroditus did and see if you don't go away healed because it just seems to be implanted in the economy of God that way. It's like the Australian boomerang. It always comes back. When you give out, it comes back in blessing to your own life. There are people in church today absent of peace and joy because of selfishness. Start thinking of what you can give rather than what you can get and watch the miracle happen in your life. The second barrier is unbelief. Be anxious for nothing, Paul said in this passage, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now look at that passage closely. Point number two, under barriers to peace and joy, is found in the statement of the apostle. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you will find what? The peace of God. Now, it does no good to pray unless you pray in faith, believing. And as you read this text and see those words, be anxious for nothing, you must say the only way to find the fulfillment of that is to believe. To believe that God is in control. Paul believed that God was in control of his circumstances. He believed that God was willing to hear him and to help him. Do you believe that? Do you live like that every day? 
Here he is in a prison, shackled, as I've said, shut away, saying, be anxious for nothing. What a man. What a faith. What a spirit. Oh, God, give us that spirit today. A spirit of faith. God is in control of our circumstances. We are not under our circumstances. We are over our circumstances if we have faith in the God who put us there. God has not lost control. That's what Paul is saying. Be anxious for nothing. Unbelief will keep peace and joy from your life. I was reading about Spurgeon one day, and Spurgeon visited a farmer friend of his and noticed as he came into the farmyard that he had a weather vane on his barn. On the weather vane, the farmer had put these words, God is love. Mr. Spurgeon asked his friend, do you mean to say that God's love is as changeable as the wind? The farmer said, oh no, I am saying that God is love whichever way the wind blows. I like that. That's faith. God is love whichever way the wind blows. Some days it's going to blow favorably. Other days it's going to blow unfavorably. Some days you're going to be well. Other days you may not be so well. Where is God? Where he always is. In control. I believe that with all of my being. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Unbelief. I do not want merely to possess a faith. I want faith to possess me. So that whatever comes, I can be as Paul, filled with peace and joy. Because I know God is there no matter what. The third barrier to peace and joy is ingratitude. It's found here in this passage as well. How are we to make our supplication? With thanksgiving. Our memories are so short, aren't they? I've heard people say, I have a good memory, but it's short. Now I'm afraid that's the way it is with a lot of us. We have short memories. Have you ever read carefully Luke chapter 17 where the ten lepers came to Jesus? He said, go show yourself to the priest and you will be healed. And they went and did so and all ten of them were healed. I ask you how many of them came back to show gratitude? Tell me, how many? One, only one! Now notice what the scripture says. The ten lepers, when they came, said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Then when you come to verse 15 in Luke 17, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, giving him thanks. And then it says, And he was a Samaritan. 
What does that mean? Well, it means he wasn't a Jew. It means he shouldn't have been included. It means he was an outcast. It means of all of them that were healed, he was the one that was the farthest away from the possibility. And he was a Samaritan. And yet this Samaritan was the only one who remembered, the only one who came back. The only one who showed what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4 with our supplications and our requests, with thanksgiving, come to God. And I am saying to you that a lot of us today are absent of peace and joy because of ingratitude. We have to remember God's goodness. A short memory can get us into real trouble. Real trouble. A fellow who flew his own airplane, lived on a lake. And he got so tired of driving from his lake home an hour into where the airport was that he decided he would put pontoons on his airplane so he could land on the lake right by his home. Well, he did this. And he and his wife went on a trip and as they were in this plane, newly outfitted with pontoons, habit took over. And when he came back toward home, he instinctively took the pattern to the airport. And as he was coming in on his landing pattern, his wife suddenly shouted, What are you doing? You don't have any wheels on this plane. You've got pontoons. And he jerked on the stick and sent that thing back up in the air just in time and headed for his lake. As he landed on his lake, right by his cabin, he said to his wife, that was the stupidest thing I have ever done, and proceeded to open the door and step out into the lake. Peace and joy are directly linked to remembering. That's my point. I think you've got it now. <laughs> Habit can wreck you. I mean, it will turn you into knots. And the habits are griping, fussing, fuming, complaining, nothing is right. But Paul says, if you want these beautiful ingredients which will touch the world, then the way to get them is to remember to thank God for his goodness. Simple truth. Not difficult at all. Just make it a habit every day. One fellow who operated an elevator in a large building was every morning so happy, whistling and singing and pleasant to be around, which was not the case with everybody who got into the elevator. And one fellow took this as much as he could until one day, in anger and frustration, he said to him, 
Why are you whistling and what are you singing about and why are you always so happy? Oh, he said, it's easy. I've never lived this day before. Hallelujah. I like that. To get up and thank God for His grace and His goodness and to be able to say, because you live, I have peace and joy today. I'm going to remember the things you have done for me. That is one of the great keys to what Paul is talking about from a prison. The fourth barrier and the last is sin. Sin is a barrier to peace and joy. What is sin? Acts of disobedience. Rebelling against the program of God. Violating the teachings of His Word. Activities which weaken the soul structure. Now there are a lot of churches that don't like the word sin anymore. A lot of people who want to forget that sin is in the Bible. That sin destroys. That sin is a curse. That sin will send people to hell. But friend, if we're going to be fair with this subject today, we're going to have to talk about sin. Sin pollutes. Sin destroys. Sin will curse your whole being if you do not bring it to Calvary. Sin is destructible. Sin is abominable. Sin nailed Jesus to a cross. And I'm afraid that in the church today there are people who don't want to face up to their sin. They're trying to find peace and joy without facing up to their sin. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died so that we could have peace with God. Jesus died so that we could move through this life with a sense of joy and purpose and meaning. He didn't come to take away our joy or our peace. He came to give us joy and to give us peace. You can't go around shacking up with women and have peace and joy. You can't violate the marriage vow and have peace and joy. It's impossible. You can't be squandering your life for the things of this world that satisfy for a night and have peace and joy. I'm talking about something that lasts, something that satisfies, something that will keep you even in a prison. Something that's deeper than the little tunes that this world sings and the little jingles that bounce around all day long in our world. That's not peace and joy. That has nothing to do with it at all. The peace that Jesus gives is eternal. The joy that Jesus gives lasts. It supersedes everything that this world offers. And you've got to get rid of your sin if you're going to experience it and enjoy it. There is a sin offering back in Leviticus, the first chapter. God gives to Moses this sin offering process. He says in verse 3, 
If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. So he brings the bull and he offers it as a sacrifice for sin. Then in verse 10 it says, And if his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice he shall bring a male without blemish. And then it says in verse 14, And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The last statement of that chapter is, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. What is the process? Well, it's obvious it has to do with the status of the person as to what he brings. If he's wealthy, he brings a bull. If he's kind of in the middle class, he brings a sheep or a goat. And if he's in the welfare class, he brings a bird. But isn't it wonderful that God in his economy included every class? Not just the wealthy. Not just even the medium group. And not just the poverty group. But he included us all. And the point that Leviticus makes and the point that the New Testament makes is that you have to come that you have to bring an offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And when you turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, you will read, and I trust joyfully so, that once and for all Jesus was offered up as a bull, as a sacrifice, as a sheep, as a goat, as a bird. He was offered up once and for all for the sins of the whole world. No matter what the income factor, no matter what the education factor, there has been a sin offering made for our sin. Hallelujah. All we have to do is come and appropriate it. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we live in our sin? When there's an offering made, come to the altar. Appropriate the gift. Remove the barrier of that which keeps you from peace and joy. And let Jesus Christ give you what he gave to the apostle in a prison. He gave up his sin, and he received peace, and he received joy. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your sin is separated between you and your God. I'm asking you to turn from your sin if you've come to church today and you know that you're not living the way you ought to live, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to secure peace and joy by turning away from your sin and following after Jesus Christ. Do it His way. Stop trying to do it the world's way. It doesn't work. Now let's hurry to the blessings of peace and joy. There are two, basically. One is fellowship with the Lord. Do you want it? You need it. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Oh, what an experience to have fellowship with the Lord, not to be afraid of the Lord. 
You hear so often in this world about people who are afraid of God. They see God as an ogre. I don't see him that way. When you have the blessings of peace and joy in your life, you know he's your friend. He know, you know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can sing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. He said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If you abide in me. Fellowship with the Lord. Communion with the Lord is vital. You remember when you were romancing? Romance by distance is not enjoyable. It's much better to be in the presence of the person, right? It's much better to be able to reach and touch. It's much better to have that person you love with you than to try to romance by telephone or by letter. You want to be near that special person. You will go through fire or flood to get to that special person. You will make special arrangements to get to that special person. Why? Because it's much better to be in the presence of the person than to try to romance by distance. Hey, apply that in your spiritual life. It is much better to be in person than it is to romance him by distance. To try to impress God by a distance, it's much better to have him near you and with you and in you than it is the other way. And I would recommend that you go through wind, fire, storm, hail, sleet, whatever it would take to get to where Jesus is today. Whatever would be required of you to have fellowship with the Lord. I'm asking you to get there, whatever it takes. Because your eternal soul could be weighed in the balance. You have to have fellowship with the Lord. That's the blessing of peace and joy. You don't have to be afraid of Him. You don't have to run from Him. You don't have to feel like he's about to get you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to have sweet fellowship with you day by day. The second blessing of peace and joy is the blessing that we can be to others when we possess peace and joy. It kind of goes back to Timothy and Epaphroditus again. They were a blessing to others. They're contagious. Peace and joy are contagious. A life or a church of this kind attracts. Nobody wants to go to a church where there's death, where people are somber and cold and lifeless. If anybody sneezes, it almost causes cardiac arrest in the church. No, people are attracted to where there's peace and joy, not death. That's why churches that are alive are attracting people because people want to know how to find peace and joy. They want to be a play, in a place where there's effervescence, where the lifting up of hands is not uncommon, where the clapping of hands would not be thought a thing incredible, where peace and joy reign, where there's a sense of dynamism involved. I would pray that we would be a people with spiritual measles, very contagious, highly contagious, the kind of experience Paul had. That will make us contagious 
like he was. I want that. I desire that. Now life may be giving you kind of a rough blow. I don't know. And you're having a hard time dealing with this theme today. But I'm here to tell you, sent by God, that it does not matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if people have misused you, misjudged you. You can have what Paul had because he was in the same boat exactly. But he said anyway, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And he said the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. I was reading about a fellow who got taken in the other day. He was driving down the highway and there was a lady in distress by her car with a flat tire standing there forlornly, obviously not able to handle the situation. So he pulled his car off the road and he got out, took his coat off, got into her trunk, got the jack out, jacked the car up, changed the tire, was sweating profusely when it was all over. And just as he was about to put the jack back down, let the car back down, she said, oh, please, don't jiggle the car because it might wake up my husband in the back seat. Now that could do all kinds of things to you. What I'm saying is that when you have what Paul had, you're contagious in spite of what happens. Peace and joy flow out. And they touch people wherever your path takes you. That's the story of the New Testament. Now I must conclude, so I will just underscore two words. Rejoice always. Ah, impossible. No, it isn't. Or it wouldn't be in this book. It's the life that wins. It's the way that Christ provided. Or Paul could never have talked about it. And twice in this one short letter, Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And in chapter 4, verse 4, he says it again. Rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say one thing about your circumstances. He didn't say one thing about how your health was. He didn't say one thing about how things were going in the economy. He just says, rejoice in the Lord. And do it always. So because it's there, it's a model for every human being. Do you have it? Do you feel the peace of God welling up in your soul? Do you feel the joy of the Lord bubbling over in your spirit? Paul had it in a prison, shackled and beaten, and facing death. You see, it doesn't come from outward circumstances. It comes from inward relationship. The secret of peace and joy is Jesus Christ, who said, my peace I give unto you. And it's not as the world gives. 
And he talked about my joy being in you. And it's what we ought to be coveting, searching after with all of our heart. Let us bow in prayer today as we look at these two great blessings of our Lord, peace and joy. With our heads bowed just before we pray, I want to ask, who can I pray for today? Who can I lift to God who is here troubled, not experiencing what Paul experienced in this unbelievable circumstance? Let me first address myself to those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord. I talked about a sin offering a few minutes ago. Sir, ma'am, Jesus is your sin offering, but you have to accept what he's offered. I can't do it for you, or I would have done it long before today. You have to do it yourself. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Cole, by this hand up, I want Jesus to come into my life. I need peace and joy. I really do. And I know it's going to come as I surrender my life, my sin, to him. Take him as my Savior. Would you lift it up right now and hold it there until I see your hand? I want to see it so I will be able to pray for you.